Good morning and happy Easter. This might be the very first time you've ever seen an Easter service on video. I can promise this is the very first one I've ever done. Um, so we're both Eastering a little bit differently, but it's good to have you here. And I've got to say, I'm not really used to the video thing yet, um, but I am trying. I innovated and put a little basketball behind the camera with a smiley face on it so that I could pretend that somebody is in the room with me smiling back at me. I've named the ball Wilson, as you can expect, but I got to say Wilson's not getting it done for me. I miss you a bunch. Um, I'm in this room alone. I'm not used to that. I'm looking forward to being in a room with you again very soon. And listen, if you're a guest, it's good to have you here with us today as well. This is likely odd and new for you. Um, I've been praying for you all week. I want you to know that we are here for you as a church. If you need anything, have any questions, and have any needs, we are here for you. And if you're looking for the big Mariah Carey and Kanye West performance, you're on the wrong church video. I'm sorry, we could not work that out with Kanye West. So we're gonna move on, sorry about that. Something I am excited about is that I believe that this year, this particular Easter, the gospel is going to go wider than probably any Easter Sunday in human history. And I know that sounds like an overstatement, but I just want you to consider for a moment that the good news of God, and it's God's gospel, it's his good news for us. And when I say the gospel, I mean it's the good news of God's favor upon mankind through the person of Jesus who came to live with us and eat with us and speak with us and teach us and have compassion for us and lead us and amaze us. He was perfect among us. And then he dies very passionately for us rose again from the grave by the power of God's Spirit as he ascends to the right hand of God, resting in God and building a very welcome and hospitable place for you and for me as we have this same Spirit of God that raised him from the dead alive in us, his family. That gospel story, I think, is going to be heard by more people today than any Easter in human history. Even if every church, let's pretend in a world of no virus, right? Every church is packed to the gills, maybe by a factor of three. I still don't think we have the opportunity that we have today. There's a couple reasons for that. I think one primary reason is times like this, it seems to generate questions in people. Um, it gets people to kind of look at their shadow a little bit and chase it towards the Lord, where they feel like they might find some answers with God. And, and that's even if they're not even sure who God really is. I saw this in my parents when I was a young man with lots of loss surrounding us. And in our case, a lot of time to think about the loss, we carry it to God. And this is why you'll find out in human history when it comes to depressions and wars and tragedies and recessions, you will always see a spike in salvations, a spike in families coming back together, a spike in people joining the church. You, you see these things. I think that's one big factor that this is going to have a big scope today. I think a second is videos are just real easy to slip in and slip out of. The barrier is very low. You could be doing anything right now. I doubt you're probably in comfortable clothes. You might be cooking an omelet or foam rolling or doing whatever you I mean, Some of you, you might not even finish this video, right? They're easy to get in and get out of. The barrier of walking into a room that you don't normally walk into, full of people that you don't know, 
with the, the fear maybe of someone trying to engage you in a conversation you don't really want to be in, all of that is removed. It's removed. The barrier is gone. So this is easy. And for that, I welcome you. I'm glad you're here. And for this reason, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have this Easter. I'm all for the gospel marching forward and reaching as many people as possible in any way possible. I'm excited about that, and I think that's going to happen today. And I have a dream that we have generations that point to this season, this month or two, as a time where they found God and God found them and Jesus changed their life. And I have a hope and a dream that this is a time where we don't really, as a church, go back to normal. I know that sounds odd. I mean, there are some things I want to return. I, I got real used to a tight proximity with you of a life-on-life -life, um, fellowship, of getting to do what we call life close together. And that I want to return. But how we all interact with God, I think that needs to be reshaped. You know, I don't really pray for life to go back to normal. I hope you're not either. Don't pray for life to go back to normal. Normal's probably not as good as you remember it. Pray that you've been changed forever. The way that you read, rest, the way that you trust the Lord, the way that you take hits, the way that you look forward, the way that you plan. If you're sitting there this morning and you're just waiting for normal to return, I feel like you might be wasting this unique window in this time in history. Don't do that. All right? Pray to be changed in this season. Now, it's probably a different sermon, so I'm going to get back to the Easter sermon. <laughs> But if you follow us on social media, and I know not all of you do, we have been going through Holy Week this week, um, which if you're not familiar with that phrase, Holy Week is just the week um, going up to Jesus's resurrection. So we've worked hard as a church to point you to some key moments in this Holy Week, like the Last Supper, um, or Jesus washing his disciples' feet, or uh, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, or the cross. And today, we get to look at the empty tomb, right? which is the centerpiece of our faith. It's actually the most controversial piece of our faith, too, just in all honesty. I mean, when you look at Christians, early Christians in the early church, they were not chased around and persecuted because they said Jesus died on the cross. Everybody knew that Jesus died on the cross. They were persecuted and chased and mocked and beat because they said, as fully man and as fully God, he rose from the grave. And that just didn't happen back then. I, I think the same thing is still true today. People believe that Jesus belongs on a couple top 10 lists, top 10 best leaders of all time, top 10 best teachers of all time. But no one really likes to say, but he's also the God man that put death to death, that robbed the grave itself. I, I'd still say it's the most controversial portion of our good news. So we're going to take a peek into this today, and I think this passage is going to be helpful. We're going to be in Luke 24. That's how we're going to start, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you're fast with your Bible, you can get back and forth. If not, just go to 1 Corinthians 15. But this is what the Bible says, Luke 24, verses 1 through 6. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? Okay, they expected a body. That's what we're supposed to pick up on this. I mean, they didn't really go looking for the living among the dead. They went looking for the dead among the dead. And that's because people didn't rise from the dead. That they, they went there looking to take care of a corpse. They knew what we know today, and that's once death grabs you and wrestles you to the mat and pins you down, you're not getting back up. To rise from a grave is impossible. No one returns. Even Lazarus, who was um, brought forth from a tomb, he would find death again. He wasn't alive forever. He would have to use his life insurance twice. He'd have two funerals. And I gotta say, this controversial truth of the resurrection that was even controversial for the young church. Not every person that went to church in the early churches that Paul planted believed in the resurrection. And I know that sounds a little bit odd, but we actually have proof of it. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 15 here. 1 Corinthians 15, and what we'll do is we'll go all the way to verse 13 and start there. We'll go to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So we have right there that some of the church struggled with the resurrection, right? That there is no life after this life, that this life is really all that we have, okay? It goes on to say, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Okay, so... Let's not forget the fact that he's speaking to the church right here. Speaking to the church. And I think the church today can easily slip into believing that this is all that we have. We might not tell ourselves that in our mind, but we live it with our life, that this is all we have. And so what Paul is doing is he's connecting consequences of minimizing the resurrection or just not believing it. He's saying, listen, if, if Jesus is still in the grave, then all of this is just a big fat waste of time and energy. We're wasting your time. You're wasting time sitting there. <laughs> Not only that, me and my, my friends that preach, we're all liars. And you're trapped in your sins because you don't have the power of the Spirit in you to change you, so you're trapped in your sins. Not only that, everyone that we've loved who has already died, they wasted their time too. Which leads to the point that if Jesus is still in the tomb, we are the most pathetic people in the world. That's what Paul is saying. But God is very good at the impossible. He's very good at the unexpected. And that's what I want us to see in the next passage. So he goes on the very next verse, right there in verse 20. So we're going back to the same passage. But, he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, which is Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, 
Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's what we're celebrating today. I mean, we're celebrating the full gospel. But also, we're, we're kind of drawing a focus to the fact that there is a commanding defeat over death. Death, for the Christian, is no longer a bully. It no longer has the last word. This is our Easter truth today. And I know how controversial this is. Believe me, many laugh at this. Before Christ, I laughed at this. Um, it's considered a fantasy, something that ignorant people believe, um, or people that hate science, or people that aren't educated, or people that grew up in the hills. It's, it's considered something for ignorant people that need emotional crutches to lean all of their weight on. I get that. I get that. But did God not leave just a breadcrumb trail of bright and gleaming moments where he does impossible things. <laughs> where he does things that are unexpected and beyond all that we can even conceive in our wildest imaginations. He does. He does these things. God has shown himself to be a craftsman at taking things that are broken and void and formless and dead and speaking life into them, giving it possibility. Um, making it beautiful again. He's a craftsman at this. We see this all through the Bible. You don't even get two verses into the Bible before you see it. In Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now listen, it's important that you know that when the word deep is used back then, in this culture, and in this language, it was used to symbolize chaos and danger. Deep water always meant chaos and danger. I still think it means that. So what he's saying is, is the earth was without form, it was void, darkness covered it, especially covering the dangerous, chaotic deep. And then it goes on to say, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But his next words were to command light to come and light obeys and darkness flees. You see, God is good at taming chaos. He's good at speaking into the void and making things beautiful. He's very good at looking at what is chaotic and dangerous and without any, any order and making it different, especially when it looks impossible to do so. And, and, and even if you flip over to the next chapter in Exodus and you get to this beautiful story of Israel becoming a nation, it didn't exist, and then it does. God took this exploited people an enslaved people, a scattered people even, and he turned them into a nation. A nation, a singular nation with a singular God and a singular heartbeat and a singular purpose. That's what he did. Nobody would have believed that that could happen. Had you seen these scattered people years earlier than the Exodus, you would have never believed it. They didn't even believe it. Why? Because it's impossible. It's unexpected. Couldn't conceive it. But God would do it, and he would continue for this young nation to make impossible things possible. He would march them through the wilderness, and their enemies, he would collapse before them. A place that was not their home would become their home. They would need food, he would pull it straight from the sky. They would need water, it would come from a rock. They would need guidance, he would guide them with a cloud and with a pillar of fire. All of this impossible. None of this expected. 
You get a little bit further and you'll actually find many more of these moments and some of these moments that you find in the Bible where God is doing something miraculous and impossible are actually meant to point to the empty tomb. Jonah being a classic example of this. We see Jonah, a prophet, a man who carries the word and the message of God, being swallowed whole by a sea creature, by a whale, right? Yet, he is let go and then he goes and extends this message of God to a broken city full of villains. Right? Now, none of this is possible. All of it was impossible. First of all, people aren't swallowed whole by a sea creature and then come out of that alive. That's impossible, right? Also, vicious cities full of villains don't repent wholesale. That also is unexpected. Yet God is good at the impossible and the unexpected. And you know the cool part about Jonah's story is this is actually more than just Jonah. In fact, the only reason it's in the Bible you have is to paint a picture of a better Jonah who will come later on, a true prophet who carries the word of God in his lungs. And he won't just leave the belly of a whale. He will leave the belly of the earth. And he won't just carry the word of God to a broken city full of villains, but all of creation that needs to be renewed. This story is about the gospel, and it's most certainly about Easter Sunday. This is why we see it said in Matthew 12:40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then this better Jonah would come, and he would walk among us, God's full glory on display in a man. And we'd see him do the impossible, and he, we'd see him do it unexpectedly, People be raised from the dead, impossibly. We would see uh, people who are bleeding, not bleed anymore. Blind would get their sight back. The deaf would hear again. Paralytics would be able to walk again. The, the, those who are insane and full of madness would have that madness exchanged for sanity. We'd see leprosy removed. We'd see prostitutes handled with total dignity. We'd see beggars handled as if they were royalty. Widows and orphans would be treated with compassion. Previously, none of this was possible. All of this was fully unexpected. Everywhere Jesus walked, he was doing things that would confound what you and I would look at and say, that's possible or that's impossible. He was always doing this. Every, every time we would walk alongside Jesus, if we were back there, and we would see something that we would be provoked to say, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> That's impossible. He would just do it. He would do something like grab somebody's hand or put his hands on their wounds or look at them, listen to them, smile over them. And then something impossible is now possible. He would do it. Unexpectedly, he would do this. Paralytics would walk. Fevers would break. Demons would flee. Multitudes would see miracles. Even storms would stop raging just at the sound of his voice. It's almost as if God flaunts and shows off how impossible something looks before he just reaches in and does it. Easter is a celebration of this. Although it was previously impossible to leave a grave, he is alive and death has fully lost its sting. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable 
and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's gone. The tyranny of death is gone. The triumphant march of death through mankind is gone. It has lost claim over the family of God. Jesus does something beautiful. He defeats sin on the cross, and then he puts an end to death by leaving the grave. And this is the theme I want you to see today. The, the theme is, is our eyes and our imaginations, they cannot conceive of what God is doing when things look hopeless and when they look dead. We can't imagine it. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 2. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Listen, our imaginations and our intellect could not carry us to the gospel. We can't dream this stuff up. It's totally impossible. I mean, the fullness of our innovation and our creativity could not take us to this story of God and how much he loves mankind. If it wasn't for the Spirit of God and the Bible, we'd never trip on it and find it. We'd never discover it. Our imaginations couldn't carry us this far. When you see the empty tomb and you see the king of glory in control of what looks radically impossible, you need to know that the living is no longer among the dead. That's what it's telling you and me. And let me encourage you a little bit on how this might connect to what we are living today. The gospel is not about what God may or may not do in your finances or your health or your relationships or your career. The gospel is about what he has done to bring you close to him. It's not really about solving your problems as much as it's about solving your most unanswerable and ultimate problem, and that is an existence away from God. We just don't have an answer for sin and for death on our own. We've never had an answer to that. It was an unsolvable equation, but Jesus answers this equation by coming and living and dying and living again. He has made a way for you and me to not be apart from God, to be connected to God. He has done this by dying on the cross, trading his perfect life for our imperfect one, showing us mercy, which means not giving us what we do deserve, and then showing us grace, which means giving us what we do not deserve. And then he adopts us into family, bringing us into a family we don't really belong in. And he calls us near and gives us affection even though we're not always all of that lovable. This is what he does for us to make room for us to be connected to God. He does it on the cross. But then he goes forward and he bursts forth from a tomb. And now that does something unique. Changes the way we look at death. This is what Easter does. It changes the shape of death for you and for me. Death just simply doesn't do what it used to do, right? Paul keeps calling it a sleep. He doesn't even call it a death. I don't know if you pick that up in the New Testament, especially in 1 Corinthians. It's almost like he's making fun of it, almost like he's mocking it. I can hear him correcting somebody in the church in a meeting of some kind. Whenever somebody says that so-and-so died, he probably interrupts and says, well, they didn't really die. They kind of fell asleep, understand. He doesn't even call it what we call it. Both death and life have been reformatted for us because of the gospel of God. 
And, and listen, I think this is an appropriate thing to talk about right now because death kind of lingers and hangs in the air, does it not? Lots of things are dying. Hopes and dreams and careers are dying every day. People are dying to the rate where some cities have no place to put the bodies. Where now body bags are a commodity. Death is kind of lingering in the air. So with everything perishing around us, to use his language, how are you and I supposed to move forward? How are we supposed to move forward? And what are we supposed to do with this life that we live and the death in front of us when looked at through the lens of Jesus' death and then his life? How do we do this? I think it's important to recognize that the world sees death as the moment where all the lights go out. Christianity and our gospel says that is when the lights finally turn on, where we can see color and hear sound like it was always meant to be experienced, where we can love each other and feel loved the way love was always meant to feel, where we work and play and worship in a creation that is as it was always meant to be. The world without God, it sees death as the worst things can possibly get. Therefore, today is the best things that possibly can get. But in Christianity, we see eternity in an intimate relationship with God that is fully without sin. We see that as the best that things can possibly be. So today must be the worst, believe it or not. Must be the worst that things can possibly be. You see, for the Christian, death is no longer the last word. Death has lost its sting. If you're in Christ today, you need to know that death is not your exile. It's your return from exile. Death is where we go home. It's where we go home. To be loved and to love, to work and to play and to celebrate. To celebrate community without all the, the effects of sin. This is why Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Listen, it might sound odd that I'm speaking so thickly about death right now. I get that, especially on a day where everyone's likely wearing pastel. But friends, we're not far from it. The line that is between the living and the dead, is, is it not a thin line? Are we not seeing that clearly? Death is not our end, though. It's a doorway. It's a pass-through to a totally different place. Like the, the wardrobe and, and Lewis's Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. It's not a full stop for the people of God. It's just a doorway into a much better place. Dane Ortland, he says it this way regarding death. For a Christian, death has been transformed from bitter-tasting poison to bitter-tasting medicine. In both cases, there is pain. But one is pain unto destruction and the other pain unto restoration. I like the way Jesus says it. When he's speaking to Martha, and interestingly enough, he's on the cusp and standing in front of a tomb when he says this to her, because his friend Lazarus is in the tomb and he's about to come out. And Jesus says this to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Let me ask you if you believe it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that our God can make impossible things possible? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer for your ultimate problem? I know we've all got problems, but they're all downstream 
from our ultimate problem, which is our proximity to God? Do you believe that he can make dead things alive? Do you believe that he could come into the most bleak, formless, void, chaotic, and dangerous situations and speak life and beauty and possibility into them? If you refuse to believe that he can do the impossible in you, then death will actually retain its sting. It sticks around. It's still a taskmaster. All you have is this world. This is the best things are going to get for you. If that's you, you need to know death is no friend to you. It's the giant that threatens, that follows you, that looms in the background, that snatches your friends away and causes you and your friends to mourn about it. That's all death is. It haunts you. You know, in the first passage, the angels asked why these two were looking for life where life cannot be found. You might be doing the same this morning, looking for life where it simply isn't supposed to be, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for eternal life in something like a person, looking for life in a career, a paycheck, a retirement, a substance, a religion, looking for it where it's just not going to be there. But I think deep down inside, you know you're not going to find it. I think you also know deep down inside that death is a foreign invader, that it's not the way things are supposed to be. It's an invasive type of perversion. I think you know there is no life to be found in the perishable things of this world. But I have good news for you. There is good news. And I'm going to repeat the angels as they say, He is not here, but has risen. The firstborn among many brothers and sisters, He bursts forth from the tomb by the Spirit of God, triumphant over the teeth of death itself. Our Jesus is the champion over all decay, sin, and death. So stop investing your trust in this world of perishable things in perishable times. Invest your trust and invest your life into the one who is imperishable, who goes before us to prepare a welcome place for us, a hospitable place where things are as they were always meant to be. And then one day, for those of us who have trusted Christ, our resurrection hero, for those of us who are united with him, you need to know that we will gain our bodies back one day, our physical bodies, without all of the dents and the dings and the scars of this world. We'll gain each other back, relationships back, without the thorns and the thistles that we find just trying to connect to each other here. We will get all of that. Everything that sin came and ruined and sullied will be rewound. This is what it means in Revelation 21. And God says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You see, our death, in some sense, is going to work backwards to bring beauty back. Because our God is good at the impossible. Listen, I'd love to finish this time that I have with you with a little bit of a tradition at Legacy Church. The last many years, we have finished every Easter Sunday with a type of, I guess you can call it a, a liturgical statement or a doxology. Those are kind of fancy words. It's just a, 
a statement that we like to read, and it comes out of an Easter sermon. And I know I just preached an Easter sermon. This one's about one minute long. Uh, but it's from the first recorded Easter sermon. It's from 167 AD from Melito from Sardis. Um, typically, I love to do this over a microphone and have you repeat some of these statements back to me as we do it as a church. You will find this document on our website, middle of the way down the front page. You can just click on it and download it. We'll try to put it up on the screen as well. But I'd love to read this through with you and pray with you. And we'll let you have your Easter with your family today. When the Lord had clothed himself with humanity, and he had suffered for the sake of the sufferer, and had been bound for the sake of the imprisoned, and had been judged for the sake of the condemned, and buried for the sake of the one who was buried, he rose up from the dead and cried aloud with this voice, Who is he who contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up the one who had been entombed. Who is my opponent? I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off man to the heights of heaven. I, he says, am the Christ. Therefore, come all families of men, you who have been befouled with sins and receive forgiveness for your sins. I am your forgiveness. I am the Passover of your salvation. I am the lamb which was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you to the heights of heaven. I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up by my right hand. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth, who in the beginning created man, who was proclaimed through the law and prophets, who became human via the virgin, who was hanged upon a tree, who was buried in the earth, who was resurrected from the dead, who ascended to the heights of heaven, who sits at the right hand of God, who has authority to judge and to save everything, through whom the Father created everything from the beginning of the world to the end of the age. This is the Alpha and the Omega, this is the beginning and the end, an indescribable beginning and an incomprehensible end. This is the Christ. This is the King. This is the General. This is Jesus. This is the Lord. This is the one who rose up from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He reveals the Father and is revealed by the Father. To whom be the glory and power forever. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this Easter service where we can gather, even through technology, to celebrate something that, that a, a virus cannot stop us from celebrating. Where we can fix our attention on something that a recession cannot draw our attention away from. And that is you being risen above death itself, who goes before us and loves us. And we just pray that this sermon, this moment, this Sunday, through many different videos and many different voices would reach the nations, that this would be a moment in history where people are changed, where cities are changed, where nations are changed. I pray for the person watching this video. Lord, that you remind them how you speak into bleak, dead, void, 
formless, dangerous, and chaotic situations. And you make the impossible very possible. And it always looks unexpected when you do it. You are so good to us. You are so kind and so thoughtful and so passionate and so considerate and so mindful for us. So gentle, so loving. We thank you and we celebrate you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.